Okay, I'm recording. We'll begin from here. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Pirke Avot. We are now, I think, for our, we have reached number 10 in our Pirke Avot broadcasts. We're here on Zoom. We're going to be on SoundCloud and we're going to be on YouTube. So we have three outlets for Pirke Avot. And we're going to look at the next Mishnah in the first parak of Pirke Avot. A fascinating Mishnah in which we're going to look at two extremely important um, members of the original rabbinic foundation of the Talmud, of the Mishnah, uh, Shimon ben Shatach and uh, Yeshua ben Taboi. Uh, so those two were the uh, exceptional rabbis of their era. They were the pair um, Yehuda ben, so Yehuda ben Taboi and Shimon ben Shatach. I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. Before we begin the Mishnah, let me tell you about... Let's, you know, we'll begin with Shimon ben Shatach. Shimon ben Shatach was one of the Perushim. What does it mean to be a Perushi? Does anyone know? It means you're a Pharisee. That's the English word. There were Sadducees and Pharisees. We've discussed them before. Sadducees were those who rejected the concept that there was an oral Torah. They said that the entire oral tradition had been invented. It was fake news. And they said that we're going to go back to the original text and we're going to only go by that original text of Tanakh. And the truth is, it was a fraudulent attempt to undermine the origins of Judaism and the origins of Jewish law. And the Pirushim, they separated themselves from the Tzidukim. That's why they called Pirushim. Pirushim means to separate. They were Pharisees. And they were the underdogs for a certain amount of time during the Second Temple, the Middle Second Temple period. After the advent of the Hashmonoim, after the story of Hanukkah, the Hashmonoim, who had been traditional Jews, sided with the Sadducees and they took a stand against the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were very much on a back foot. Now, Shimon ben Shatach was a Pharisee scholar and he was the president. He was the, uh, the Lord Chief Justice of the Sanhedrin, which was the high court of the Jews in Jerusalem, during the reign of Alexander Yanai, who's known in the Talmud as Yanai HaMelech, and his wife, who was, um, who's known in history as Salome Alexandra, and in Talmudic literature as Shlomtzion HaMalka. I'm very close here in Yerushalayim to Rechov Shlomtzion HaMalka, a street which is named in her honor. And Alexander Yanai was, lived around a century before the Common Era and his wife. They were the king and queen, and when he died, she became the ruler of the Jewish nation in, um, in what is known in history terms as Judea. And she had a brother, and her brother was none other than Shimon ben Shetach. 
but she was politically compromised because she was married to Alexander Yanai, who was not sympathetic to the Pirushim. He was himself a Sadducee, he was a Tziduki. But because his brother-in-law was Shimon ben Shetach, there was a, a certain ambivalence about him, and as a result, he managed to stay alive, even though Alexander Yanai killed many of the Pirushim, the rabbis of the Pharisees, he managed to stay alive. Um, in any event, Shimon ben Shetach lived in Yerushalayim, except when he had to run away to Egypt. And at some point he was warned by his sister that her husband was going to kill all the Pharisees and he ran away to Alexandria in Egypt where there was a very large Jewish community and particularly the Pharisees held sway in, in Alexandria and he had a very wonderful life there. But at some point, I mean, the Beis Amikdosh was still standing and there was still a Kohen Godel and there was still a void on the, in the Beis Amikdosh. There was still officially a Sanhedrin. And at some point, he was called back and he went with Yehuda ben Tabai, not Yeshua, Yehuda ben Tabai. Who, they became the um, Nossi and the Vice Nossi, the President and Vice President of the Sanhedrin. Now, Alexander Yanai as I've already said, was very negative about Pirushim. But he was compelled to change his views because he had certain um, allegiances and allies who were very fond of Shimon ben Shetach because he was a very wise man. And when the Parthian um, ambassador came to the court of Alexander Yanai and they were sitting there, they said, one second, didn't you once have a very wise scholar who sat here with you called Shimon? And he, and he said, yes. Well, where is he? We'd like to speak to him. We want to ask him questions because whenever we ask him questions, he gives us great answers. Uh, uh, he's not here. Well, we'd like to see him. So, uh, Alexander Yanai was forced to recall Shimon ben Shetach from Alexandria and he only came back with an assurance by Alexander Yanai, his brother-in-law, that he would not come to any harm under any circumstances. And when he came back to the court, he sat down in between his sister and his brother-in-law and made a point of doing so because he said, that which I say, the wisdom which I impart is such that it grants me equal status with kings. You can see that. It's a Yerushalmi in Nazir, Daf Nun Dalad Ahmed Base, and it's also in Brachus, Daf Mem Ches Ahmed Aleph. You can see this story about Shimon ben Shetach and his brother in law, Alexander Yanai, a Hashmanoi king, who was a Tziduki. In any event, when, let me tell you a little bit more about Shimon ben Shetach before we actually read the Mishnah. He was an extraordinary man because he realized that with the rise of the Tzidukim, the uh, normative Judaism, what we would describe today as Rabbinic Judaism or just as Judaism, was under great threat. And therefore, he began to issue, he was the first person really to produce what I would refer to as 
Talmudic material. That means laws which um, were known, but which were purely oral, which he then uh, codified in a legal fashion, and therefore he is known as the restorer of the law. And he was the person who gave back the crown of learning to its former brightness. Um, so uh, he was a person who ensured that Judaism would survive the threat from the Tzidukim. And there were particular ideas that he pronounced, that he enacted, that were of great significance. One was um, that he said that he, he wanted to restrict the idea of divorces. In those days, and by the way, in the Muslim world, this still stands, a person could just get divorced and say, I don't want to be married to somebody. And that's what happened. And he insisted that there has to be a proper get, and he created Hilchus Gittin. So we owe Shimon ben Shetach all the laws which protect wives from simply being discarded by husbands and making sure that any husband who does get divorced will supply his ex-wife with what is owed to her as a result of the ksuba. So that was one thing that Shimon ben Shetach was very insistent about and which he managed to establish as the normative law in Judaism. And the other thing that he did was, is he ensured that when it came to um, capital punishment, that once somebody has been sentenced to death, they obviously, that law, that um, verdict has to be carried out, but that it would be extremely difficult to sentence somebody to death uh, if they have not uh, been through a proper process of law, a proper, a proper court case, and he created a, a strong system of legal uh, barriers to prevent people from simply being sentenced to death on a whim. But he suffered as a result because um, he had a son. And this is a story which can be found in a Gemara in Sanhedrin, in Syria Yerushalmi that at some stage, Shimon ben Shetach found in the city of Ashkelon 80 women who were uh, practicing the dark arts of magic. They were witches and they were charged with the prohibition of sorcery, which is a capital crime, and they were sentenced to death. And as a result, all of their relatives were extremely upset and they wanted to avenge their relatives' deaths, they bought a false witness against Shimon ben Shetach's son, and they said he had committed some type of capital crime, and he was sentenced to death, and he was on his way to execution. And while he was on his way to execution, the witnesses in the trial against him recanted, and they said that they had lied when they had given testimony. So as he's walking, if you can imagine, he's on his way to the gallows. Shimon ben Shetach tried to have the case reopened. And he went to his son and he said, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you don't die. But his son said, don't do that. Because 
even if a witness re later recants his testimony, if he is given testimony under oath, he must be believed and he cannot later be believed if he changes his mind because perhaps he's done so under duress and he said to his father, it's a Gomorrah. You can just look this up in the Gemara. It's a crazy story. It's a Gemara in Yerushalmi in Sanhedrin. He says, if you seek to bring about salvation, then consider me as a threshold towards that goal. As a result of which his son was killed, was executed because of the death sentence against him, which was a vengeful act because of Shimon ben Shetach having executed 80 witches. And this event, this occurrence, this tragic, traumatic event in Shimon ben Shetach's life might have been the reason why Shimon ben Shetach gave a warning that witnesses must always be very, very carefully cross-examined. They must be we're going to see, this is the mission that we're going to be reading, must be very carefully cross-examined so that we can be sure that that which they say is true because his own son was killed as a result of false witnesses. One last thing. Yehuda ben Taboi was his partner in the pair, as it were, the Zug. This is the third Zug of the Talmud. And Yehuda ben Taboi once... Um, in a mistake, allowed somebody to be sentenced to death. And Shimon ben Shetach called him out for it. And Yehuda ben Taboi totally allowed himself to be overruled by anything Shimon ben Shetach said as a result of the mistake that he made, which meant that Shimon ben Shetach was ultimately the most powerful halachic authority at the time of, uh, in the era in which he lived. He was an exceptional individual. He's one of the foundational figures of Judaism of the Talmudic period. And we're now going to see the Mishnah in the first Perik of um, Perike Ovis. We're going to see what he has to say. The Mishnah says, Yehuda ben Taboi v'shima ben Shatach kiblu mehem. These are the third, this is the third pair of the period of the Talmud in which we're discussing and which has been quoted here in the Pirkei Avot. So, says Shimon ben Shotach, Heve marbe lach Make sure that you're extremely careful when you cross-examine witnesses. Don't ever allow yourself to be um, bamboozled by something a witness says and that you will believe them, you must make sure to cross-examine them in the proper fashion so that anything that they say can absolutely be known to be the truth. The Hebei Zohir Bidvarecha says the parish here, Hishtadel Ledaktek Heitev Bidiburcha. Make sure that anything that comes out of your mouth is 100% that it's not in any way going to be able to be um, undermined. You've been extremely careful that that which comes out of your mouth is true. Because you, as a person of great authority, 
If you are a person who has authority and you say something which isn't true or could somehow be misconstrued, you could be a person who could foster lies and untruth. You are a mentor. You are a guiding light. You are a person from whom others take an example. And if something you say could be construed as being not true, you will have enabled others to lie. Says Shimon ben Shetach, there's nothing more important. If you are a person in power and a person who people respect, then to make sure that everything that comes out of your mouth is 100% endorsable and true. Because if it isn't, then you will have enabled others to have lied in anything that they do. That's what Shimon ben Shetach says. Let's look at what Yehuda ben Taboi said. Yehuda ben Taboi Oimer, Altas And this very much follows the same line. Don't become someone who is a brilliant lawyer. What's a brilliant lawyer? How do we understand a brilliant lawyer? You know what? If you're ever arrested, not you, but somebody is arrested, what is the first thing they must do to ensure that they protect themselves? They can say, I, I need a lawyer. Why would they ask for a lawyer? Because they know that if they say the truth, <laughs> they know that that's going to unfortunately cause them great um, harm because the truth will damage them. A lawyer will enable them to say, let's call it a version of the truth, which won't do them any harm. Says Yehuda ben Taboi, don't be Don't be like one of those who tries to direct the judge to believe a truth that really isn't true. It's a version of the truth. It's some type of public relations exercise. It is not the truth. It is a version of the truth that will enable those who are guilty to be found innocent and those who have committed a crime to escape any kind of proper justice. Says Yehuda ben Taboi, never ever be such a person because if you are such a person, you are not ethical and you are not actually a person of faith. Only truth, there's no such thing as uh, Sheker, there's only MS. You must be somebody who is MS, not Sheker. That's the first thing he says. And this goes against everything that we know from Western culture. When two litigants are in front of you, two people who are against each other and they've presented their points of view, don't imagine that they are both innocent. You In terms of your treatment of them, you must treat them as if they are both liars. Don't think, you know, I know this guy. He's an honest guy. He would never lie to me. The other guy I don't know so well. Maybe he's dishonest. No, no. Even the honest guy, even the guy that you imagine to be a fine, upstanding individual, that guy could be a gunner as well. You don't know. How do you know how a person will behave or what they will say in order that they can serve their own advantage, right? We know that people don't always tell the truth. We know that people don't always act 
in the finest possible way. Says Yehuda ben Taboi. When people are in front of you and they have something to gain from the way that you will judge their case, you imagine that they are not the finest people. Look at them even with all the wonderful attributes that you know they have and the friendship that you may have with them. In a situation where they are serving their own advantage, Treat them like Rishayim. That's in the first instance, right? You've got to understand there's no such thing as innocent until proven guilty. You are guilty until proven innocent. It's quite a different approach than the one that we're used to from Western culture. Don't imagine that anyone who's in front of you I have to tell you, as a rabbi, I have many people who come to me with all kinds of stories and, and uh, situations. I always know that people put forward their best possible foot, as it were, because they want to be seen as being good in the eyes of the rabbi. But the truth is, you've got to look past what people tell you. You've got to examine the evidence and make sure that everything that they tell you holds up and that, that, which were that, that what they are saying, that what they are telling you is 100% true. And then, when eventually you have judged the case and you've reached your verdict and you've pronounced your decision as a judge, it doesn't matter if one of them lied to you. By the way, or both of them lied to you. Once you reach your decision, and they've accepted it, and they've accepted the law, they are 100% zakoin. They are innocent, they are tzaddikim, they are wonderful. Why? Because in the face of the law, they've accepted it with a smile on their face, even if behind that smile there's a grimace. You know, we don't want to be told that we're wrong, but sometimes we're wrong. And when we're told we're wrong and we accept it, we are zakoin. That's what Yehuda ben Taboi said. Once you are proven guilty and you accept it, you become a Zakai. You're no longer considered a Rosha. You now become a Tzaddik. Why? Because the laws of Hashem and your faith in God amounts to the fact by accepting that which the Rabbi has pronounced that you are a Zakai. Because they've accepted the law from you. That, Yehuda ben Taboi, says more about a person than anything else. In a situation where they can possibly get the better of somebody else by not being entirely honest with you or others, obviously we need to judge them like a Russia. But in the event that they are told that the law is against them and they accept it, believe Sholem, don't treat them. Like a Rosha, treat them like a Zakai. They're now just like you and just like everybody else. That's the way the law works. That's human nature. We must accept that, that human beings, human nature is such that sometimes we do things that are regrettable. But as long as we are willing to accept our mistakes in the face of them, then we are Zakoin. We're not Rishayim. That was Yehuda ben Taboi and Shimon ben Shetach. And with that, I will end today's little discussion about Pirkei Ovis.
And until next week and until the next podcast, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for listening.